Underway on a Friday locker cleanout, April 14th. We're coming at you from the Scotiabank Saddle Dome and the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge. Vickers Steinberg on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. Boy, there was a lot to sink your teeth into on this locker cleanout day. Uh, you know, last hour, uh, Huberdo and Backland was the big conversation. Uh, not Huberdo and Backland, Lindholm, Lindholm and Backland was the big conversation. Now, Jonathan Huberdo, the soon-to-be $10.5 million man. The no longer $5.9 million man. No discount now. Yeah, the, the, there's, there's now a massive $84 million contract that uh, not a single dime of that $84 million has been paid. Uh, it begins this coming season. Uh, welcome to this hour of Flames Talk. Hope your Friday is going along well or whenever you're listening to us. I think the best word to use for Jonathan Huberdeau's first season in the NHL, miserable, is that is that a fair word to use? First season with the Calgary Flames. Jeez, I'm all over the place today. I'm it's sorry. a busy day, a lot of happening. But my, yeah. head, my head is swimming today. I apologize. Uh, that's like the 97th mistake I've made this hour, and we're only a minute in. Uh, a miserable first season with the Flames. Is miserable the best word that you would use for it? I mean, now that you said it, it's better than just the boring, plain old disappointing I had in my back pocket. But miserable, yeah, that would uh, that would probably be the best adjective to sum up the... I just think with all of the outside noise, his struggles going from... he. What, what did he end up with points-wise? What was the uh, final total for Jonathan Huberdeau? The final tally? 55 points in 79 games. He had less than half of his points from last year. He halved basically everything. Last season with the Florida Panthers, he had 30 goals. This year he has 15. Last year he had 85 assists, an NHL record among left wingers, if I'm remembering correctly, Correct, going back to the summer when we were pumping, pumping the move. He had 40 this year, and of course the 115 points last year dropped down to 55 this season. It's a historic drop. Literally. Um, he uh, went from 115 to 55, which is a 60-point drop. It is the largest drop season over season um, in NHL history yes. from one year to the next. Bill Barber was next at 57 points. That happened in the 70s. Um, you had uh, former Flame Bob McMillan had that happen to him. Uh, like, but, but for Jonathan Huberto to have the single largest drop from one season to the next in NHL history is... Miserable. It was a miserable season, and it wasn't just the production. It was the outside noise. It was his frustration. I think it was miserable for him when he got traded here, not because he doesn't like Calgary, not because he didn't want to be in Calgary, but because he didn't want to leave Florida, and he got blindsided in the summertime Friday with night. the deal on a Friday night, and he gets completely floored by the deal. I think... It is very clear that it hurt him a lot. 
Yeah. He comes here. He gets his $84 million. He's excited. He wants to be a difference maker. But then he and the head coach aren't on the same page. He and Daryl Sutter clearly butted heads at different times throughout the season. Obviously, Agent Alan Walsh stoked yes. the fire with a couple of tweets that were very, very well publicized. Then you have the team being no good based on expectations. Him being the biggest reason why expectations were so high. And having the historic drop in points that he had, I don't think there is a single word that sums it up better than miserable for first season in a Flames uniform for Jonathan Huberto. That was, like, it. I can't imagine there is a single player on the 2022-23 version of the Calgary Flames who is happier to be getting the hell out of Dodge and getting away from this season. And yes, he would have loved to have been able to do that after some playoff hockey, but now that the fate is sealed, and he's not the only reason why this fate has been sealed. But now that it is, you better believe he is going to Florida or Montreal or the Bahamas or France or Thailand or wherever the hell he's going. It's far away from Calgary, far away from Flames Talk, far away from Sportsnet.ca, far away from Wes Gilbertson's columns Ooh. and post media. I'm just, all I'm saying is like, I just thought I'd name drop him because Flames, Flames fam. Um, he's getting the hell away from here. And hopefully, we're going to hear from him in a second, but hopefully that reset is what he needs to come back a much more Jonathan Huberdeau-like Jonathan Huberdeau next season. He needs to be unplugged, wait 15 seconds, and plug back in. And I hope that's what he does this summer because he needs a complete and total reset. And maybe in hindsight this wasn't so surprising because, as you mentioned, that trade from Florida to Calgary blindsided him. He was buying the Florida Panthers a ring. He was ready to propose. He was ready to sign an extension, sign a long-term deal to be a Florida Panther from start to finish. And he gets a call on a Friday night, which is probably not a great time to get a call if you're an NHL player. Hey, you're off to Calgary. And again, it wasn't so much you're off to Calgary was the part that was blind. You're out of here. It's you're out of Florida. You are no longer a member of the Florida Panthers. And it certainly took a lot of adjustment. You ran through the whole gamut of uh, things that happened to him this year, whether it's inconsistent line mates, whether it's perceived slights by the head coach, whether it's his agent tweeting a move to right wing, which he's never played before in his life. There were a lot of things that happened along the way for Jonathan Huberto that just didn't fall the way. And, And again, the expectation too coming in because he was a 115 point player. The departing Johnny Goudreau was a 115-point yep. player. Both played left wing. All right, well, we're just going to swap out these two parts, and you're going to be the new Johnny Goudreau. Didn't Te- happen. Text line's open at 969.60 on this hour of Flames Talk. If you're listening live, feel free to jump in on the Jonathan Huberto conversation because it was uh, it was a really difficult season for him. Somebody uses the word listless as I don't think it was ever a lack of effort, no. a lack of, lack of caring, a lack of trying, but I think all of the other extraneous things along with the on-ice adjustment led to what I think will be the worst season in Jonathan Huberto's NHL career and the good news is 
You have career good seasons like he had last year. You have career bad seasons, and they just happen to follow one another. So hopefully back to career norms, and this guy being a 75, 80, 85-point player is what we see when the Flames return in September and drop the puck for the next season in October. So text lines open at 960-960. Let's hear from Jonathan. This was him as he spoke about what I think was a miserable first campaign in a Flaming Sea. Jonathan, did you uh, did you expect the transition to be as difficult to Calgary as, as maybe it was this year? No, I mean I knew it was going to be a, a change and adjustment, but no, of course I didn't think it was going to be you know this hard. But uh, I think I just got to you know put that year behind me and focus on on the next one. Have a good summer and come back next year and be ready. Do you feel like a, a summer where there's not the Type of turmoil and, and change could be really big for you coming into year two. Yeah, I think uh, you know just a reset. I think mentally it's been like, I mean, like Marky said, I think roller coaster kind of year and a lot, a lot of up and down and you know. So I think reset mentally in the summer and like I said, I think oh I know you know I'm a I'm a Flames and you know it's it's going to be a normal summer and come back next year and, you know, ready to go. I mean, I wish I, I could, but I don't know. I think there's a lot of stuff and I got to obviously reflect on everything too. And that's why I'm going to take the time, you know, to do that in the next couple of weeks and see what's wrong, what I have to do better. And, uh, you know, obviously it's kind of, Frustrated too, you know. Frustration, obviously. It's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it wasn't easy, obviously, as a year, and uh, that, uh, you know, offensively it didn't really help the team and stuff like that. So I think, uh, like I said, just, you know, see what what, what happened and kind of forget about this. One. You describe your relationship with Daryl and how these over the course of the season. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think. Daryl is that, like that, you know, he likes to push button and, you know, and kind of, you know, get you going. But um, I got nothing to say really, like, about, you know, our relationship is good. I mean, kind of, like I said, I think it's more like personally and kind of, you know, it's a different style of player. So that's uh, kind of stuff that I had, you know, adjustment, but I think it's not, uh, me and Daryl had a good relationship. Jonathan, you mentioned sort of fitting into the system. Do you think that you can be your the best version of yourself as a hockey player in this system? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I just got. I mean, I sure didn't find it this year, but uh, I mean, I didn't lose my talent in five months, so you know that's the kind of stuff I'm saying. I mean, I'm not a different player from what I was last year, so I think it's just to you know kind of think about everything and kind of. Maybe I got to play a little different to here, so maybe work on some stuff in the summer and come back. But I know what kind of player I am, and it's you know it's been a tough year, but it's 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 how you bounce back, and that's what I'm going to do. Jonathan, this isn't the first demanding coach you've played for. Um, you know, your junior coach obviously expected a lot, and you guys were obviously always on the same page. Who will you kind of turn to? this summer in terms of not about the physical side because as you just said you don't think that's gone away who will you turn to and what will you do maybe even a little different than you've done in the past 
to kind of get you in a better place in that regard? I think it's, like you said, I think it's mental. And it's, you know, I completely lost my swagger, you know, this year. And you can just tell, you know, you have no confidence and the way you play, the way you make your plays, the way you, you do. And it's, it's hard because, you know, you're just trying to be out there and, you know, help your team to win and you can't really do it. So really most importantly for me, it's to, you know, get that back this summer, get that confidence back. And, you know, I don't think about the past. I just want to look forward and, you know, until next year. Jonathan, uh, you said Terrell pushing buttons, and did that catch you off guard, whether it was comments he made to us or stuff behind the scenes? Where did, did that maybe catch you by surprise, and did you maybe, was it maybe over the line or anything like that? Like, did that maybe surprise you? or? No, not really. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. You know, there's a lot of factors throughout the year. You know, we like, you know, playing right wing for two months, you know, stuff like that. You know, I like been playing left wing the you know my whole career so that was another adjustment you know I wasn't I didn't know I was gonna have to deal with and um you know so stuff like that I mean there's some stuff but me and Daryl will figure it out you know together and try to fix some things can you describe what it was like just obviously having that time on the right wing but we all thought we were gonna, you were going to be on that top line but you ended up getting bounced around playing with two different centers all that changed the adjustment through the year how would you describe going through a whole season where you were going up and down the lineup the way that you were? I mean, <laughs> like, I think, you know, it wasn't working really, like, offensively. So I think Daryl was trying to, like, make it work, and that's why I kind of bounced around. But, you know, that was that kind of year. So, like I said, I think just to, you know, find some fits. And, you know, I played with backs most at the end of the year, and, you know, it was, it was going well. So I think you need to find, like, duo. And that's what he was trying to, to do. That is Jonathan Huberto when he spoke with us on Friday's locker cleanout here at the Scotiabank Saddledome after a miserable first season with the team. I had the, there were a lot of interesting things in there. I think the you know there's there's kind of two prongs. So let's start with the coaching side of things because I thought that the comments about the coach were interesting because he kind of said that the relationship was great, but he wasn't used to how he pushed buttons and wasn't used to the way he goes about his business and wasn't used to playing on the right side. And it was, it was just very interesting. And I guess I come away from that believing just as much that there was a disconnect between the coach and the player. And that's not to suggest, I guess, I guess what I would say, I come away from listening to Jonathan Huberto still believing that absolutely there was a disconnect between the coach and the player. But I, I don't know, maybe it feels because it feels like maybe it's a fixable disconnect or because even he said, I have to maybe change the way I play. I need to be a different player. And I thought that was a very interesting admission from a guy with more than a decade of NHL experience saying, okay, well, if he's going to be the head coach, maybe I've got to change as well. And you don't, you don't get to, you, you don't fix things. You don't, mend relationships without both sides making uh, concessions or making changes. So I thought that was really interesting. So clearly, 1,000%, there was a disconnect, not seeing eye to eye, different pages, headbutting, throw about 40 other cliches out there, and that existed with Daryl Sutter and Jonathan Huberto this year. Zero question about it. But I also appreciate the way that he owned it, and he... I appreciate the way that he owned his part of it. I really, really t- I lost my swagger, and I wasn't confident. All of it. I, 
I was actually really impressed by Jonathan Huberto. I really was. Yeah, it's an adjustment, but me and Daryl have a good relationship, he said. And, yeah, you run through the list of things that happened earlier this season, whether, oh, he went to go use the facilities to put it in a, in a tamer term, or the experiment on right wing when he's an NHL record holder for assists from the left side, or Agent Alan Walsh and his tweets, I was going to say comments, but more like tweets, so on and so forth. There's a lot of reasons that you can go down the list and go, this is a disconnect, this is a disconnect, this is a disconnect. And again, he talked about Daryl likes to push buttons, and that's got to be an adjustment for a player coming in, again, to a new situation, new environment that was completely blindsided at the time. It's understandable, but it doesn't sound to me that's something that is irreparable between the two. I also just, I really do believe, and I've believed this for quite some time, especially as it became clear that this was probably not going to rectify itself this season, that it was never going to truly get on track this season. I, I think him getting the hell out of here, as he talked about reflecting, resetting, and trying to change the way that he comes back next season, I think that there is a very good chance that we see a very different and better version of Jonathan Huberdeau on the ice because I think that that time away, I think that coming back into a training camp environment that this time he'll be used to on a brand of hockey or in a brand of hockey that he's used to playing and just overall a new a city that is no longer new to him, uh, surroundings that are no longer new to him, teammates that are no longer new to him, all of it. I think coming back next year there's a good chance that Jonathan Huberto is a significantly better player than he was this past year. I'm going to cherry pick a quote, and this is in response to being asked if Daryl pushing buttons caught him off guard. And this is the tail end of the quote, but I think it's telling at least as it reads on the page. There's stuff, but me and Daryl will figure it out together and try and do something. There was a lot of little clips that you could pull from Jonathan Huberto's availability today that are, that are certainly eyebrow-raising. That's one that's probably calming, but on the other end, comments like lost my swagger, no confidence, but on the flip side, I didn't lose my talent in five months. That player is still there. Now, I'm not going to say Jonathan Huberto is going to go out and put up 115 points in each of the next eight seasons. I don't necessarily think he's a 115-point player, but he's certainly not a 55-point player. And he needs to, as you mentioned, get out of Calgary, yep. go somewhere where he can reset mentally, get himself into a better spot to come back to what is now a familiar situation after the last nine, ten months of just what you can only kind of call as chaos for Jonathan Huberto in his first season with the Calgary Flames. Let me read you a few texts as uh, we continue along this hour of Flames Talk, your daily Flames roundtable, just a few minutes as well, a um, few minutes away as well. Um, this says, everyone looks how much Calgary fell off and how Florida won the trade because they made the fl playoffs, but Florida finished with less points than Calgary and were the President's Trophy winner last year. They fell off more than Calgary did. The difference is Matthew Kachuk did not. No. Uh, he had himself a dynamite season. Uh, this reads, I think, Huberto would be better if he's supported by a proven goal scorer with speed. Be an interesting thing to look for in the offseason. This reads, listening to some of these guys speak about Daryl's painful. As frustrating as it was, as it is for me to say you have to let this guy go, these guys are just not going to be able to work with this guy. Uh, Raj writes, good for Huberto for being open to change, but I'd be okay with him just being the 115-point player <laughs> he was a year ago. 
I, I mean, you'd be changing back to that. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. And I just I don't know if that happens with this team and with the brand of hockey they play, even if there's a new coach. I don't know if they're going to play the same type of hockey that Florida had, and there's no Alexander Barkov there. And, you know, there's, there's, it's just a different different brand of hockey that they played in Florida. And, and Huberto was a big part of it. I, I'm, not, I'm not expecting him to go back to being a 115-point player at any, at any stretch. No. But I am expecting him, and the Flames are expecting him, to go back to being a point-per-game, flirting with point-per-game player, 85 points, somewhere in that range. That's what Jonathan Huberto is capable of being, and over the last number of years, that's kind of been around where he's been. That's what they need him to be. They don't need him to be 115 points, because I don't know if that's realistic. Well, the past four seasons prior to coming to the Flames, he was over a point per game player so it's not unrealistic to expect him to be that here now when I say the last four seasons he had 61 and 55 78 and 69 92 and 82 so he's not just inching over that finish line he's certainly a more productive player than a guy that put up 15 goals and 40 assists in 79 games for the Calgary Flames there's more to his game he seems dedicated to figuring it out getting back to it finding his swagger finding his confidence finding where he fits with the team and that's got to be a positive sign because that contract is kicking in soon. Uh, listen to Jonathan Huberdeau's response and his relationship with Daryl. Not good. Nothing will change if Daryl's back. This guy can never play for Daryl or want to. Well, I give Jonathan credit for owning his part of it, but if it's going to change, the coach also has to change his approach as well. And if that doesn't happen, then I think that that text is fair. If both sides are committed to, to rectifying it and changing the way they go about things, approaching things, whatever, then maybe it's fixable. If one side isn't, and or if either side's not, and you know, words are just words that Jonathan said, he there there actually has to be actions uh, attached to it. But if Daryl's not willing to make the changes, then I don't think this relationship's going to fix. And if Jonathan's not then I don't think this relationship's going to get fixed. And if the relationship doesn't get fixed, then one of them probably can't be here because that's an $84 million contract that kicks in. So either you got to try to move that or you got to move on from the coach. But I, if, if the relationship isn't going to get fixed, you got a real problem going forward. It's like any relationship, whether it's player-coach, whether it's spouse-to-spouse, -spouse, whether it's radio host-to-radio co-host, if only one side's putting in the work... That relationship's not going to grow. It's going to die. So both sides need to come to the table, and they can talk about it the way that Jonathan Huber did to, Huberto did today, but both sides have to get together and mend fences or move forward because that's the only way that the relationship grows. A few more texts. Uh, I never understood the preseason hype and expectations. Way too many unknowns. Huberto got blindsided by a trade across the globe to a Canadian market with huge pressure and expectations given the offseason and who he was swapped for. He's a hockey player, but in the end he's a human being. That would affect anyone. Agree 100%. Uh, guys, it's pretty obvious to me why the Huberdeau experiment failed this season. He's not a good playoff performer, and that's pretty much how Sutter and the Flames played all season long. His, his play style suits more wide-open hockey, which is not the style this team plays. Honestly, I don't think anything changes for him next season unless he completely alters the way he plays. This from Jamil, who says, Huberto always kept a smile on his face. Good team player, only up from here. Uh, this reads, my opinion is that number 10 does not have the skill set, role, or speed 
and compete to be a difference maker on the Calgary Flames. This reads, I believe in Huberto. A different coach could unleash his game again. The room was toxic and Sutter's deployment was poor. Even 80 to 90 points is great and the Flames will be back in the playoffs. Um... This says, I think, Hoobie's just waiting for the big contract to kick in before he gets going. Watch out 2023-24. And Reese writes, there's no reason to believe that Huberto won't bounce back next year. He seemed to get better late in the season and should keep improving. And I do, to that point, and the last thing I'll say before we uh, bring in the roundtable, I do think Game 82, Jonathan Huberto, was much better than Game 1, Jonathan Huberto, and I think that you could say that from Game 1 to Game 20, Game 20 to Game 40, Game 40 to Game 60, so on and so forth. I do think that he improved, and maybe not rapidly or or exponentially, but there is incremental and, and steady improvement from Jonathan as a flame as the year went along, and I think that's a, a, a reason to maybe be optimistic about what year two could look like. I mean, I can't disagree with that if you go back and just look at the progression. And again, it's not exponential, but it is a little bit linear in terms of where he was to where he closed out the season. And I think some of that is familiarity and comfort with the team, the surroundings, just generally getting acquainted with Calgary, then the personnel, then the coach, and then, but he, ne- he never really did to me settle in with consistent line mates. He ended up finishing the season with Michael Backlund, had Nazem Kadri for a bit, brief stint with Elias Lindholm. We'll be curious to see how he fits moving forward. This is Flames Talk coming at you with Pat and Aaron from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge at the Dome. Worried about radon? They install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk. To find out more, visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Anything and everything Calgary Flames, it's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time for our Daily Flames Roundtable on this Friday afternoon. Coming at you from the Scotiabank Saddle Dome, the Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Pre-select your summer tire package now, and they'll store your winter tires all summer long. This program is available until they run out of space. Visit Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Steinberg and Vickers along with you here at the Dome. And now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames round table. Locker clean-out day. We were all down here at the Dome for it. We heard from, I think, pretty much every single 19. player. 19 of them, not bad. Uh, most of the time, two at a time at the podium. Uh, lots and lots to sink your teeth into. But, guys, the number one and one a stories or the number tied for number one stories were early on the non-committal responses we got from michael backland and elias lindholm on their potential futures with the flames and their willingness or desire to sign beyond this season as they enter the final years of their contracts let's start with michael backland Uh, that was one of my biggest takeaways no doubt What did we make of him saying, I'm 34, I want to win a Stanley Cup, and was not committing to re-signing with the Flames this summer? Well, I'm not going to lie, guys. I wasn't uh, surprised to hear what both Michael and Elias had to say today because there's been a lot of smoke uh, around uh, how players have felt this season, and uh, I guess a little 
fuel was poured in that fire at uh, today's postseason media availability. And Pat, if you remember, I did a one-on-one with Michael Backlund after he played in his 900th game a few weeks ago. And remember, I came into the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge after talking to him and said, you have to listen to how Michael responded to my question about, you know, would he want to stay in Calgary and play a thousand games wearing a Flames jersey? Because Mm -hmm. only one guy's done that. His name is Gerald McGinley. Uh, So his response to that question when I talked to him two or three weeks ago was really interesting. And he basically said the same thing today. He was noncommittal then and he was noncommittal now. Now, normally I take what I hear on Locker Cleanout Day with a bit of a grain of salt, especially with a team like this season's Flames that was just eliminated earlier this week because things are are still pretty raw for this group. You know, they got mathematically eliminated following their loss to the Predators on Monday, so they've had less than a week to kind of wrap their head around what went wrong this season. So sometimes uh, before they've had time to decompress and really collect their thoughts, Emotions are raw, and uh, guys sometimes change their tune. Well, Michael hasn't changed his tune in the last few weeks, and some suggest he kind of felt the same way last summer. Uh, as far as Elias Lindholm is concerned, I mean, he's such Just, an important we'll, part we'll, of this team. We'll skip ahead. We'll, we'll stick we'll with skip Michael. Ahead. Okay. We'll, we'll stick with Michael for now, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'd love to see him play a 1,000 games with the Flames. I really would. I'm not convinced it's going to happen. What I hope happens this summer is what I'm guessing happened last summer. You know, Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk left. He was probably thinking, well, this is a team that's going to rebuild or retool and doesn't have a chance to win a Stanley Cup. And I'm guessing they had some conversations and they convinced them to stay and convinced them the Flames could be a contender. And a lot of us thought that was going to be the case. It didn't work out that way. So maybe they have to have similar conversations this season. Uh, and convince him that uh, the Flames can win a Stanley Cup because he did say that uh, he's 34 and he wants to win a cup. Yeah, Wilsey, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with you on the fact that on Locker Cleanout Day, I, I typically take things with a grain of salt. So when a player speaks candidly and doesn't give you the canned response of, "Of course, I'd like to be back," and we'll see what happens. It was eye-opening for me when Michael Backlund, who's third all-time in games played at 9:08, I think it is for the franchise, goes. We'll see. Like that's a that's a that doesn't come lightly from a guy that I think collectively we can all agree is captain material and and in theory might have been the next captain of the Calgary Flames, but also for him to be realistic and go, I'm 34 years old. I want to win a Stanley Cup this summer. I don't know what's going to happen. That's a fair point from Michael Backlund, and I'd rather have a guy that wants to chase a Stanley Cup than just simply stay where he's comfortable or stay where he's going to get a quasi-cushy contract yeah. and maybe a, a perk in being a captain or getting getting a letter or whatnot. I want the guy that wants to chase the cup. And now I do think it's probably important to acknowledge the fact that he said, my dream, like anyone else, is to win the Stanley Cup. The biggest dream of all would be to win here in Calgary. I'd love to do it here in Calgary. But if he doesn't think that the Calgary Flames are going to be cup contenders next year or the year after, he can fulfill that dream in the city of Calgary. I mean, all you can do is kind of encourage the guy to go chase that dream because he's given the Calgary Flames a lot. Yeah, I mean, and I think I think Michael, the last couple of summers, has been very um, 
kind of wondering and waiting and seeing what happens. I think the last couple of off seasons there have been, you know, like hey, let's let's have the conversation, let's see where things go and in neither case has he been dealt and obviously he's the the longest still longest tenured member of this team that is active right now. I I still think trying to re-sign him I still think trying to get him to to ink an extension and maybe throw the caveat of the captaincy in there, I I still think that's the way to go this offseason. And I still think there is a lot of reason to keep the guy around. But I don't begrudge the guy for wanting to weigh his options. He is a veteran. Um, He's 34 years old, as he mentioned. He's a guy that gets the opportunity at this stage of his career with another unrestricted free agency period looming for him where if if he wants to chase a Stanley Cup and doesn't feel like that's going to happen here in Calgary then then he's earned that right to go look for it. I just I guess what I hope is that the things that uh, and this is obviously very biased. We know my um Michael Backlund yes. bias exists. Um but I hope that the things that he's looking to see happen, and I hope that he is open to re-signing this offseason because I think it would be cool to see him get an extension of two or three years and be named the captain the same day. And I think that there's hockey reasons to see if he'd be willing to take the the veteran discount, the Joe Pavelski discount where I want to stay here, I'll sign for a little bit less, and but if you give me a few more years, give me some security, I'd be interested in doing that. But I don't blame him for being non-committal I don't blame him for looking at it and saying I I don't know where this team's going I don't know who the coach is going to be uh, all of that stuff I, I think or who the GM is going to be I think yeah. all of that stuff is fair so it was not surprising I'm with you Wilsey because of what you just said and because of even what I, I have you know just things that you've heard and talked about um, over the last number of months and years but it was still jarring to hear it as kind of succinctly put as he put it today yeah and I do think that there are probably a number of players who are going to wait and see what the Flames are going to do off the ice as far as their general manager is concerned and their head coach is concerned and uh, based on all reports that we've heard Brad Treleving and the management group although there's been conflicting reports when it comes to Don Maloney and Craig Conroy I don't know if you've been able to get to the bottom of that Pat but uh, as far as we know, none of them have contract extensions, and Daryl Sutter's the only member of the coaching staff that has a contract going into next season, so maybe they're going to play the waiting game when it comes to that. The other thing that I heard today, or at least I think I heard today, and I'm not sure if you guys picked up on it, but when Michael Backlund and Chris Tanev did their media availability together, did Backlund not refer to the two of them as co-captains? Yes. Yeah, so they didn't have a C on their jersey, but maybe that's kind of how the team looked at those two guys as co-captains, as a couple of the alternate captains who wore A's. But yeah, it's uh, it was an interesting day, and I'm with you. What Michael Backlund said probably didn't hit me as hard as it hit some, because he basically said the same thing to me two or three weeks ago, but uh, he's had time to think about things since then, and yeah. he didn't change his tune today. For me, I think the team approach can be one that's a little bit more patient than the next guy we'll talk to just because I think it's less pertinent to make sure you maximize Michael Backlund again he's given you so much time to this organization he's given you quite a bit on the ice certainly a pile of stuff off the ice when it comes to being a leader in the community and I think not necessarily like if if the situation is that yes he's going to test unrestricted free agency and, and not sign an extension 
I think you can recoup much of what you'd get from in the summer as you could at the NHL trade deadline. So I think this is something that you can let play out a little bit more if you're the Calgary Flames as it pertains to Michael Well, Beckham. and the other thing that I would say there is just if he were to play next season, play 82 games, and become the number two most tenured player in franchise history and then decided to walk in unrestricted free agency. I don't believe that's poor asset management. I believe that's a situation where you got 15 seasons out of a guy that you drafted and you, you got him to the age of 35 like that. Like I'd have no problem if, if that were the case. I don't think you always need to. It's like the same conversation when people were wondering before Gio got claimed by Seattle, people were wondering, well, Pat, if, if Gio, like you got to trade him. I'm like, why? What, what, What's the problem if Mark Giordano had just been a flame for life and then uh, and then retired, or if he played it out and signed somewhere else? Like sometimes that's okay. But yes, this next guy that we're going to talk about, I think, is a very very different story. It's Pat Aaron, and of course, Mr. Derek Wills, voice of the Flames on the Daily Flames Roundtable. The other guy who was very non-committal about his future, and and guys, maybe even more vague and left more uncertainty than Michael Backlund did. I've been saying for a while that the future and the feel of Elias Lindholm's long-term future with the Flames is uncertain. That was absolutely sealed with what we heard at Locker Cleanout on Friday. What do we make of Elias's situation? It's an interesting one because he is one of a number of really good players who are pending UFAs going into next season. And the Flames had an opportunity to, I don't think rebuild, but retool last summer when Johnny Gaudreau announced that uh, he was going to test unrestricted free agency and Matthew Kachuk informed the team that he wasn't open to signing a long-term extension. That was one opportunity to rebuild or more likely retool. And the Flames didn't go down that road. And even though hindsight's 2020, I still think they made the right decision. And I still think that Brad Schreleving made a good trade for Matthew Kachuk. So... Taking a look at this offseason, I'm not sure the Flames make significant moves prior to the start of the 2023-2024 season unless they don't think they're in a window to win anymore and or these pending UFAs make it clear that they are not interested in signing a contract extension. Elias Lindholm might be right at the top of that list, guys. And there are a lot of really good players on that list who will be going into the final year of their contract next season. Uh, Michael Backlund's 34, Elias Lindholm's 28. And Pat, to your point, if the Flames were to just let Michael play out his contract, uh, you can't call that poor asset asset management. You can't. Uh, they drafted and developed the guy, and you know, he's played almost 1,000 games for them. Now, if they're not in the fight for a playoff spot at minimum, then you probably do look at moving him and others before next season's trade deadline. But, you know, Lindholm is a guy who I know he wasn't as good this season as he was last. Now, he has a couple of excuses, namely his two wingers were gone, two 40-goal, 100-point players and Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk. So I'm not sure anybody expected Elias Lindholm to put up the same numbers this season that he did last when he had a career year and had 82 points in 82 games. He's still pretty productive, though, scoring 20 and... Uh, what do you have, 64 points this season, I think? So if if they get the sense that he is not open to signing an extension, 
it will probably be difficult for them to trade him, just like it would have been difficult for the Flames to trade Gaudreau last season when they were en route to a Pacific Division title during the regular season, if they consider themselves to be contenders. I think it's tough to trade one or more of your best players when you're at least fighting for a playoff spot or fighting for a division title and believe you can potentially fight for a Stanley Cup. So I think it's way easier said than done to say, oh, well, the Flames, if they're not going to be able to re-sign these guys, have to trade them and get something back. But this summer or next season might be an opportunity for this team to rebuild or retool again because you could get a boatload for those pending UFAs. Now, I don't think the Flames should go down that road, but we don't know what conversations have had been had behind closed doors and how guys are feeling about things. And I'll add this before I turn it over to you, Aaron. Losing is never fun, right? I'm not sure winning was a lot of fun for the Flames this year. And I think that might be part of the problem. Daryl Sutter pushes and pushes and pushes and was able to push a couple of teams to Stanley Cups. So that has worked for him in the past. But the team didn't win as much as we thought they would this season. And I think that wore on the guys because we know the losing wasn't fun, but I'm not sure the winning was all that fun either. Well, Z, you bring up a good point that we don't know what the conversation has been like behind closed doors. But in front of us, when I hear Elias Lindholm say, and I quote, we'll see what happens one more year. I've got to look at it that way one more year. That's all I can say. To me, that tosses up big red flags for me. Um, again, it could be just an off the cup on a locker clean out day and a guy being candid. But if I'm the Calgary Flames and that's the first dialogue that I've heard, I'd, I'd be a little bit nervous. And you can't go into this next season in the same situation as you had Johnny Goudreau and what kind of turned out to be Matthew Kachuk situations. Matthew Kachuk, obviously a little bit different, um, saying that he wasn't going to sign long-term. He still had term left on his contract, but he wasn't going to re-up long-term. That's basically the situation you're going to put Elias Lindholm in. And you're going to say, hey, July 1, you're eligible to be extended. What's your ask? How many years? How do we get this done? And if he comes back and says... One more year, that's all I can say. I've got to look at it that way, and he's just trying to get through the next year. Then I think you've got to explore the trade route. And unlike Michael Backlund, where I think you can probably get 90 to 95% of his value at the trade deadline, if that's so be it, if that's the route you want to go, I think you can maximize Elias Lindholm's worth on the trade market in the summer as opposed to the trade deadline. And if you can't get an extension done in and around July 1st, I think you've got to explore where you can trade him, what you can get back, whether it's a retool, whether it's a rebuild situation. But when I hear him repeat multiple times, one more year, that concerns me with Elias Lindholm. Well, and guys, I, I don't think that Elias was caught off guard by the question. I don't think he was unprepared for it. I think everybody knew that this it's been a massive talking point around this team for the longest time, these guys who are coming in on the final years of contracts. And, and so I don't think he was unprepared for that as well. I think that he, he knew exactly what he wanted to say and didn't want to commit to anything. And guys, here are two things that I am very adamant about. Number one, Elias Lindholm, to me, is the number one player personnel priority this offseason. Yes. Uh, you know, Brad Living and Daryl Sutter and, and the future of coach and GM, that's priority number one organizationally. But from a player standpoint, it's Lindholm and figuring that out. And what that means is you've got to be very honest with yourself and you might even have to take a risk and be preemptive. But you can start talking officially to Elias and his agent 
on July 1st. You can unofficially wink, wink, nudge, nudge, do it tomorrow. Um, this I can tell you this is not the first time the Flames are hearing of you know Elias not being certain about what his long-term future is. I believe they've been, uh, the, the feel has been that it's uncertain for a while, but now it's out there publicly. Now you can talk about contracts officially this summer. I think you have to aggressively pitch him. I think you have to say, hey, here's our deal. Here's an eight-year deal at $8.5 million or a seven-year deal at uh, $8 million or whatever the type of contract might look like. We don't need to get into the minutia of what it might look like, but here's our long-term contract. We want you to stay. And you can negotiate for a month or two. You can keep on it. You can keep on it. You can keep on it. But at some point, if Brad Tree Living's the general manager or if Julian McKenzie's the general manager, he's, he's right beside me. That's why I pointed to him but uh the if if whoever the gm is of this team if they don't have a contract in place for elias lindholm or they feel like it's not going in the direction that's going to turn into a long term guys you got to trade him because the other thing that i'm adamant about is that you cannot johnny gaudreau yourself again that cannot happen to the organization again and so if you're going into next season and willsey the the scenario that you just talked about plays out well, that's Nightmare City where you're fighting for top spot in the Pacific, and now all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, Elias, we don't know if he's going to be here next year. Don't put yourself in that situation. Or at the very least, you got to make a promise to yourself that regardless of where you are in the standings, we're trading the guy if he's not signed long-term at the deadline. And you know the way you avoid that difficult situation is you try your damnedest to sign him this offseason, and if it doesn't look like it's going that way, then you make the trade, you get an absolute boatload for him and a team gets a guy at under five million dollars that they can slide in and help you win right away so I, I i think that's the way you have to approach it this offseason you try to sign them if it doesn't work then you have to be okay with trading them prior to training camp i really believe that they have got to be very deliberate with their approach here and then if you decide you have to trade elias lindholm does that kind of push you in a different direction than you were thinking well, about going in is, right, is it, I mean, is it, the, is it the Matthew Kachuk trade, or is he's it... your number one center? Uh, yeah, I guess it depends if it's a hockey trade or a trade for primarily futures. Uh, man, there are going to be a lot of interesting conversations had, and you know, I, I think you have to avoid putting all the players into the same bucket as well, because we did hear from two players today who will also go into next season as pending UFAs in Tyler Toffoli, who is the team's leading goal scorer and point producer and had a career year. And if I had a vote for MVP, he'd get it. And Nikita Zadorov, who had his ups and downs, uh, the biggest up being in game number 82 when he scored a natural hat trick. But both of those guys spoke pretty glowingly about Daryl Sutter. And I think would both be open to spending a long time playing for him here in Calgary. I'm not sure the same can be said for other guys. So if I'm a pending UFA, I'm not committing to anything until I know what direction the organization's going in. As far as the general manager and the management group and the head coach and the coaching staff. And, you know, does this team see itself as a Stanley Cup contender next season and for years to come? Or... Could they potentially go in another direction if a guy like Elias Lindholm gets traded? So if I'm a pending UFA, there's a lot of questions that I need answered before I decide what I'm going to do. Thank you, Wilsey. Okay, have a great weekend, everybody. He's Derek Wills. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Pre-select your summer tire package now and they'll store your winter tires all summer long. This program's available until they run out of space. Visit MercedesBenzCountryHills.ca.